and welcome to A Promise Scotland podcast where today we are going to be focusing on the Hearing System Working Group and its process and conclusions and I'm really delighted today to have Sheriff David Mackey with me just to talk through um, the work and, and what it's what it's saying and what we hope it will lead to. So welcome, David. Thank you very much for coming. Thank you for having me along with you. That's fine. Delighted that's fine. to be here. It's always slightly funny because we obviously got the train through together as well. So we're not really <laughs> saying hello for the first time today, but nevertheless, a formal welcome to the podcast. So before we jump into the depths of um, the work of the Hearing System Working Group mm-hmm. and the process it went through and the cl- conclusions that it has reached, um, could you just tell us a little bit about your professional background and why it was that you were keen to um, get involved in this work? Um, yes, I, I'm a lawyer uh, and I've followed a very orthodox career. I was a solicitor in general practice. Um, I then went to the bar. I became an advocate. So my focus was on court work, but it was very much um, civil court work, personal injury. Towards the end of my time at the bar, I, I was involved in some high court prosecution work, um, which brought me into the into contact with the world of criminal law. Um, but then back in about nine, uh, 1999, I became a part-time sheriff and very soon after that, a full-time sheriff. And for, well, since then, I've, I've, I've been a sheriff. I was a full-time sheriff until 2019 and uh, I'm, I'm still sitting as a part-time sheriff. But for 15 of those years, I was the, the, the sole resident sheriff in Alloa Sheriff Court. Um, and uh, apart from being some of the happiest days of my professional life, um, it gave me an opportunity to uh, develop my own uh, style of judicial practice. And in that role, being a sheriff in the, the primary sheriff and Alloa Sheriff Court, what was your interaction with the children's hearing system in that area in Clarkmanishire? What, 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 what were you dealing with that was coming through the system, as yeah. it were, from, well, the, from the, the children's hearing system? The, the, the sheriff is part of the, the, the children's hearing system. As the sheriff, I would deal with um, <clears throat> cases where there were disputed grounds for referral. So if, if the, um, the family uh, or anybody disputed the grounds for referral that the report was relying on, uh, the, the children's hearing would send it to the sheriff and I would have to hear evidence and make a decision whether grounds had been established or not. So that was one type of case. And the other main type of um, case that would come my way uh, was appeals from mm-hmm. the children's hearing. Um, about four or five times a year, I would have a very challenging task of dealing with applications for child protection orders, almost mm-hmm. invariably out of hours and almost always um, to um, make an order to remove a child, a newly born baby from its mother. Mm-hmm. And I always find that quite challenging. Yeah. So th- those are the things I did. Um, and it was some of the experiences around that that um, have motivated me to get involved in this project. And can you tell us a bit, a mo- bit more about that? So what when you were sitting as a sheriff and you were and and you know we approached you to see if you could be interested in doing this work what were your experiences that that you took from that of being a sheriff and dealing with appeals and emergency protection yeah. orders that you thought actually this is a this is an area of public policy in Scotland it's a it's a it's a it's a tribunal it's something that i think <clears throat> does need to change a bit that there's there's things that could be that could do with moving here. What what was it that you were bringing into this process in terms of your own experience? The experience of dealing with uh, child protection orders yeah. um, and 
I never met the babies, I never met the mothers, but the idea of making an order that would result in a baby being taken away from its mother mm -hmm. um, uh, at birth, I always found quite challenging. And I always thought there must be a better way yeah. to do this. Um, and uh, so these sorts of experiences uh, motivated me to, to become involved. There was one other case, um, which I will mention. <clears throat> I had a, I'd been involved in a series of um, appeals relating to one family had very complex issues. But at the end of, uh, at the end of a judgment I wrote, quite a long judgment, um, I made an observation because I'd noticed that in this case, um, over the previous 18 months or two years, no less than 50 different panel members and about 20, 21 chairs had been involved in the case. And uh, there was, there'd been no continuity, uh, and I made an observation about the lack of continuity of decision-making there, which um, was striking because in the, in the world of family law, um, back then, that was about 2012 or 13, uh, there was a growing recognition that there's a great, a huge importance to have con continuity of decision-making in family matters. Mm -hmm. It was almost more important than expertise. So that, that was something that struck me and okay. stayed with me. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's a really um, <coughs> important segue into the work of the promise. So, mm -hmm. um, which obviously I was I was heavily involved in at the tail end of that of the independent care review, and the promise itself has a lot to say about the children's hearing system, and it had mm -hmm. a lot of commentary around um, its operating structure and whether or not that um, was sustainable for future for, for going into the future. But quite specifically. Um, it talked a lot about the importance for children and young people and families of consistency of decision-making, yeah. um, not just from a case grip perspective and that ongoing holding of someone's story, but also um, to prevent children, young people and families from having to retell their stories all the time to a, a, new, a, new, set exactly. of, yeah. a new set of strangers. So just to give a bit of um, background on the Hearing System Working Group itself, and then perhaps, David, you can take us through a little bit of the process. Mm -hmm. So... As I said, the Promise had quite a lot to say about the children's hearing system. And then as the Promise Scotland was set up as an organisation, um, we think very carefully about particular areas that we're going to jump in and do a lot of work around. And it became clear that it was important for us to take on a role in facilitating a redesign programme around the children's hearing system, supporting organisations in and around that to come mm -hmm. together. Um, and to look at what can change now and should change now and actually what needs to go on to um, develop into perhaps more legislative change um, down the line. So that was brought together with um, CHS who recruit, train and um, retain um, panel members and with SCRA, the Scottish Children's Reporters Administration who hold the um, uh, administrative function of, of reporters in Scotland. Um, and through that process and that coming together, we also realised that we needed a we needed an independent chair to do that. So you very kindly um, agreed to ag agreed to take that on, David, uh, with with our with our support. Um, and I just wonder if you could just um, just for those listening into this, could you just tell us it is it has been a process that started in October twenty one and is going to conclude. Um, uh, in May of this year, could you tell us a bit about what that process has looked like, and um, and getting from from then to to here? Yes, certainly. Um, as I've said to you many times, uh, when I was invited to do the job, um, I had this preconceived notion about how these things happen. I thought, well, that's fine. We'll prepare a, a consultation document and we'll send it out to stakeholders with questionnaires, get the answers, and write the report, and it'll be <laughs> that'll be that. 
Um, <clears throat> but it is nothing like that. What what has actually happened um, has been a, a, a process of collaboration. I'll just I'll explain more about it in a moment. Um, but uh, I am a complete convert. It's been fantastic. <laughs> so we, we started as a working group. Um, <clears throat> we had uh, some sessions trying to decide or identify what were the main issues that we had to address. Uh, and we devised a thing called an issues list. Um, and we had 52, I think, uh, yep. issues that we identified. These are questions, uh, points that we felt had to be addressed um, uh, by the working group. And that, that became the focus of our work. But around that, <clears throat> um, we then started on a, a process of collaborative um, design. There were three sort of elements to it. Uh, we started right at the beginning with a, a, an open kind of webinar uh, for anybody who's interested to to participate and get a sense of, of what the work was going to be. Um, in May last year, there were a number of sessions with particular stakeholder groups um, who, who had sessions with the design team. And the design team I'm referring to is, is um, the Office of the Chief Designer of the Scottish Government. It's a slightly Orwellian sounding title, but they are a, <laughs> they are a fantastic group of um, very energetic um, and uh, very clued up uh, facilitators. There's, I think there's some quite um, serious psychology between, behind this collaborative mm. design pro concept, but they were fantastic at just getting people to um, think outside the box and, and they, they worked with those teams of stakeholders. But then perhaps the most important part of this process was um, <clears throat> we created three design teams and um, <clears throat> when you go into one of these design sessions, it's a bit like going into a primary school class. There's There's stuff on the walls, there's stickies, um, there's plasticine, Lego. Mm -hmm. um, but without going into too much detail, the, the, they would put a big um, sheet on the wall with on the left-hand side the beginning of the process and the right-hand side the end. And so that people didn't feel hidebound to go through a particular chronological process, People were encouraged really just to shout out what's the what's mm -hmm. what's the most important thing in your mind at the moment, and they would shout out and or write it down on a sticky label, and uh, somebody would position it. Now that 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 point um, comes in at the beginning of the process, so we'll stick it on the wall there, or this point sits above the whole process, mm -hmm. as we'll put it up on the top. And at the end of the session, you'd end up with a roll of paper with about 150 stickies on it, mm -hmm. uh, and somebody really did roll that up um, and and preserved it. And the second session, the second part of the session was usually to take one or two of those ideas and then develop them into prototypes um, so that by the end of the day, <clears throat> you would have that roll of paper with all the ideas, but then two or three particular um, ideas that have been developed. Mm -hmm. The key to success of this whole process were the support teams that then took that stuff away and turned it into proper sentences. Yeah. So... Um, by the end of that, right, towards the end of last year, uh, must have been about October time, I think, mm. um, we as a working group uh, were provided with 150 pages of a bound volume um, of rich uh, material ideas. There were something like 22 main ideas that emerged mm. from this. Um, and we, we haven't necessarily accepted all of those. Some we have, some we've um, some have prompted some very good um, discussion and thinking mm -hmm. in the team, um, but but that's what we were, were given with, and it was the whole process was really very productive, because um, each of the, the members of the teams would go back to their respective workplaces and they would yeah. talk to their colleagues, and you have the sense that the entire 
children here in community were somehow engaged in this mm-hmm. in this collaboration. Um, I really get that feeling. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, obviously, the working group itself is made up of CHS, SCRA and the Promise Scotland and Scottish Government are there as, yes, as, as observers. But beyond <clears> that, the collaborative redesign project and the engagement activity, you know, we've, there's been engagement with every single professional or yeah. um, uh, t- a person who engaged with children's hearing system, with various groups of families, with kinship families, foster families, adoptive families, yeah. families who've had their children removed, um, really significant engagement with um participative groups of young people with yep. better hearings up in Elgin and um, Murray and our hearings, our voice as well, who have d- done a podcast um, too. So the, the level of engagement that this has involved has been really, really significant. Yes, well, that's absolutely right, because alongside what I've just described as the collaborative design process, there was this um, regular engagement um, meeting all these different groups uh, and uh, participants and actors in the, the children's hearing system. And one of the most valuable for me personally has been the engagement with uh, young care experienced people, mm-hmm. the, the two groups you've mentioned, Our Hearing, yeah. Our Voice and uh, Better Meetings, uh, Murray. I, I, I'm not just saying it, that really has been important. Every, every time I met these young people, um, every single time, my eyes would be open to some insight or some understanding that would never have occurred to me before mm-hmm. seeing it through their eyes and that's entirely as it should be and, and that has a f- undoubtedly affected my personal thinking um, mm-hmm. on this process and, and, and it, it feeds through in, in the, mm-hmm. the, the work that we're producing. Yeah. Much of the work that's being produced is about improvement activity that can happen now and I've certainly seen through this process the amount of work that CHS and SCRA are doing to to make change along the way so that there's not a sense of waiting for this report to land. But I think it's also true to say that there are some really significant findings about how the operating model of the children's hearing system should should change going forward. Um, And I just wondered if you might be able to outline just perhaps three of those now so that we can just have a bit of time unpacking why we've got to where we've got to and what change will look like in in the future. So I think the first one that we wanted to talk about was this whole concept of a non-adversarial forum and the children's hearing system being inquisitorial in nature. I'll let you just dive straight into that one, David. Yeah, well, I will. I would would just um, remind everyone that the the, the foundation for the children's hearing system is uh, the Kilbrandon Report, the Kilbrandon Mm -hmm. Committee back in the late 60s, early 70s. And um, our uh, project of, of redesigning um, the children's hearing system is, is, is that. It's not a dismantling of it. Uh, and we're, we're not just holding on to the principles of Kilbrand, but we're, we're trying to get back to them in a sense. Mm. And that idea of a, a, a non-adversarial inquisitorial process lies at the heart of it. Um, we heard from many sources um, that, that there's concern about the way in which the children's hearing has become quite adversarial in recent years. Um, and, and it's not surprising, uh, since Colbrandon, um, the European Convention on Human Rights uh, has emerged, the, the um, United Nations Convention on the Rights of a Child, um, but especially the, the notion that uh, anybody involved, anybody who's a party to the process is entitled to representation, uh, legal representation if necessary. Uh, and that, I think, is, has fueled uh, some of the um, adversarialism that's come into the, the process. So we um, have sought to take some of the steam out of, out of that by reverting to um, a, a, a process which is much more... Uh, um, much less adversarial and more inquisitorial. Mm. Um, 
And it's quite important to us to be able to call it that. And that that holding on to that concept um, guides our thinking on certain other aspects. Mm -hmm. So, for example, um, the idea of taking the adversarial part of any referral, which is the grounds hearing, out of the out of the the um, hearing. Uh, is is a, an idea that has emerged and, and mm -hmm. th that's formed part of our work. Um, but uh, when we talk about inquisitorial, um, that suggests that somebody is acting as the inquisitor, um, yes. and that that leads me to the second uh, important one of the, mm. this, the the other main uh, themes that has emerged from our work, and that is um, looking at the role of the chair of the, of yes. the panel. Yes. Um, one of the main uh, concerns of young care experienced people was the lack of continuity uh, of, yeah. of personnel in the panel. Um, the, not just having to repeat their story every time, but, but being faced with another group of anonymous adults who are going to make important decisions in their lives um, was unsettling um, and that they were looking for continuity there. But... As I mentioned at the very beginning, um, as a matter of principle, there's a there's a, a desire for continuity of, and consistency of decision making mm -hmm. in relation to any families, um, it, uh, and, and and also a desire for good quality decision making and writing. So, in order to uh, address these um, concerns and this desire for continuity, for all these reasons, we um, found ourselves very easily recognizing that. Uh, we would need uh, people acting as chairs who could make that commitment. Mm -hmm. uh, and in re realistically, the only way people could make that sort of commitment was if, if it was their job, yeah. if they were salaried. Um, and so we find ourselves um, developing that concept of a, of a salaried chair uh, and uh, a suitably qualified chair. Mm -hmm. and, and this is important. Um, one of the challenges for panel members just now um, is the... Um, is coping with uh, strong advocacy in the room, uh, coping with um, issues of procedure and sometimes law. Um, and uh, we think that this idea of a stronger chair uh, goes some way to addressing that. Um, and so we're not thinking of any particular profession. Um, we don't think that would be the right way to go. Uh, but we do think that um, uh, the question we should ask is what what would be the competencies of a good chair, what would be the attributes of a good chair. And we haven't yet tried to list these, um, but we imagine that we'd be looking for certain personal qualities of uh, communication, engaging with young people, uh, empathy, uh, compassion, um, but also uh, professional and tribunal qualities around understanding the whole child protection landscape, mm -hmm. legal competence so far as law uh, um, is an issue, uh, but also that ability to hold the room, that, that ability to um, deal with strong voices in the room, to um, direct an inquiry because it would become an inquiry into the best interests of the child. Um, and so <clears throat> we, we find ourselves thinking of a chair um, and recruiting chairs with, with those sorts of attributes. Mm -hmm. um, and that is a cha that is a change, isn't it? I mean, let's be clear about that. There's been a um, yeah. I mean, you often remind people that Kilbrandon actually didn't have very much to say about volunteering as well, a concept in the report. <laughs> it's, it's true. I, I, I mean, you will look in vain in the Kilbrandon report for any discussion of the decision making model. How did they arrive at um, a, a three person panel? And they don't actually say it in as many words. I think 
it is possible to infer that Kilbrandon, the committee were um, influenced and, and impressed by the, the Scandinavian model of um, youth panels, mm-hmm. uh, which were working very well. Um, and uh, that, that idea of a three-person panel emerged from mm-hmm. Kilbrandon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what's also interesting, Ilka Brandon, which I, 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 I keep pointing out, is that um, towards the end of the report, um, sitting in sort of isolation is a, a paragraph that says that um, there's an expectation that uh, the, the panels would panel members would be volunteers. But in the bigger cities, um, simply be, to deal with the volume of cases, it might be necessary to think of salaried panel members or salaried chairs. So that idea of, of um, remuneration of panel members has been there from the very start. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's, it's, it's right so that we can infer that Kilbrandon wasn't um, so strongly wedded to the idea of volunteerism. Mm-hmm. Um, but volunteerism has worked. It's been, yeah. um, it's been a, 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 a very strong element of the children's hearing system and, and an important element. And uh, th- that, that kind of leads me quite nicely yeah. to, to talk about the, the role of panel members because the, the big idea is the salaried chair, but um, um, we are continuing to think of the chair being accompanied by two panel members. Mm-hmm. Um, and <clears throat> we want those panel members to be suitably qualified as well. We wouldn't expect them to have the same breadth of, quali- of um, competencies as a chair. Uh, and in fact, we see that this as an opportunity to relieve volunteers of the, of the parts of the work that they find most challenging, the procedural mm-hmm. aspects the um the challenge of dealing with uh, a strong advocacy in the room mm-hmm. and and enabling them to focus on what they they signed up for which is to make decisions mm-hmm. based on their life experience and 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 uh, their own personal experience uh, in the best interest of children mm-hmm. so um as a matter of simple fairness uh it seems that if the chair is being remunerated then the panel should be too yeah. but there's a, there's a more important um, <clears throat> aspect of remuneration of panel members, which is that um, it offers an opportunity to create perhaps greater diversity yes, amongst panel members. Thankfully, some employers uh, are able to support their employees into being panel members as, as a part mm-hmm. of their career development. Um, so we, we do have a, a quite a diverse range of um, panel members now, but there are many panel members who are able to do it because they, they, they're, they're fortunate enough not to have to worry about mm-hmm. uh, giving up their time uh, to, to be panel members. But we think that there probably are some people who would like to be panel members who can't because they have work or family responsibilities. And when we speak to um, young care experienced people about who they'd like to be panel members, um, I found it quite interesting that they said, yes, it'd be good to have care experienced people as panel members, but that's not the be all and end all. What what matters almost more to them is to have panel members that they can relate to, who are younger, who possibly share the same aspirations, same, same career mm-hmm. <clears throat> objectives as they do. And um, so there's, there's this thought that um, remuneration of panel members and possibly coupled with something like more flexible scheduling yeah. might uh, improve the diversity of, of the volunteer uh, membership of the panels. Yeah, I mean, I think what's remarkable is that over, um, you know, since the advent of the children's hearing system, that 
the system has been able to operate with the volunteering at, um, at, at its core and that it's been people who've given up their time um, and to do this work. And it's difficult work. It's really difficult it work is, to make. Yeah. I mean, these are incredibly important decisions that are being made. So I think it's a real... It's a real credit, I think, to Scotland and the volunteering community that that, that this model has been sustained for so yeah. long. But it's also just the right time to, to, to really look at it and say, what of this do we want to preserve and keep and enhance? Yeah. Um, and there's much that, we're, that we want to preserve and keep and enhance, but what do we actually need to shift to make sure that this is a, a system that's sustainable and a system that is focused primarily on the people that it's for, which is the children and families that appear before it. And that and that just being a really important pivot point as we implement the promise that this is yes. this is a as a moment to make what well, is a difficult decision I think and is a change, but something that that needs to happen for the sustainability and the primacy of of children's rights of participation in this in this really important tribunal. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Mm -hmm. um, one other important um, idea realization that's emerged mm -hmm. from our work is. Um, the, the importance of the child's plan. Yes. Uh -huh. Because um, we want to get away from the idea that the children's hearing is somehow a new phase of decision-making in a child's life. Uh, it shouldn't be. It should be a, a continuation of what's gone before. And um, our report will um, have a very strong statement at the beginning, quite a long statement, um, setting the scene uh, and setting the context in which the children's hearing sits. The children's mm -hmm. hearing is not the child protection landscape. It is part of it. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the, the real benefit to children and families um, could and should happen without a referral to the children's hearing. We don't want the children's hearing to be seen as a last resort, as a, as no. a signal of failure. A punishment. Yeah. They're going to the hearing. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, for, for some children and families, it, it is absolutely the right thing to happen mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and needs to happen, um, but it, it should not should never be seen as a as a sign of failure or or as a, a last resort. So um, we we would like the idea that children arrive at the children's hearing with a child's plan well yes. developed. It doesn't happen just now, but um, I think we've recognised the importance of a plan and the importance of de de developing a plan. And and that should run um, as a golden thread through mm -hmm. the whole process, so that the, 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 instead of being that piece of paper that panel members find at the bottom of the pile, and the sheriffs find at the bottom of the pile, and they're not really sure of what it is, um, it should sit on top, and their and their thinking and their decision making should be influenced by what's in the child's plan mm -hmm. and and how to improve it and, and mm -hmm. make it better. And that same plan should run right through the implementation of any order by the hearing mm -hmm. uh, through to a, a clear exit. Um, mm -hmm. Too many children languish in the children's hearing system and we've recognised um, uh, the importance of having a clear exit plan uh, and that should be part of the child's plan. Yeah. <clears throat> so that, if we hold on to that idea of the child's plan, it actually becomes a bit of a glue and, and, and a guide to some of the other processes that are taking place. Um, for example, uh, there are often parallel proceedings going on or processes through the looked after child review or um, child protection planning meetings and so mm -hmm, forth. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we are seeing ways in which um, the children's hearing can, can collaborate more with these groups rather than seeing them as some kind of separate process going on independently. 
Mm-hmm. I think that's right. And then I think the question then in relation to the child's plan <coughs> and what happens at the hearing is what parts of the plan need to become part of the order? What yeah. what needs to be put on a more on a on a on a more solid statutory accountability footing so we can be clear that that those particular aspects are going to receive a level of scrutiny at review hearings and consequent right. hearings that comes after that come afterwards. That's right. I think it is probably just important to to note at this point that um it's fair to say that post-pandemic, um, the cost of living crisis, um, what's happening in children and family social work across many public se- public services at the moment is that people in those roles feel pretty scunnered and that there's a lot of anxiety, I think, about words like accountability and implementation of orders and, and a worry that, that what might happen here might lead to you know, increased scrutiny for a social worker standing in front of a panel. Um, yeah. And I just wondered if you wanted to touch on on that a little bit, just around about what what we're what you're seeking what what the uh, what you're seeking to achieve when we talk about accountability for a child's plan and a child's order. What what in your mind would that actually look like and feel like for for professionals coming into that room as well? Yes. Well. Um, th- 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 this is a, an area where it's, it's a, a brilliant example of how we've learned from engagement with, yes. with groups. We've learned so much from talking to social workers um, alongside the, 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 the collaborative design process that we've been undertaking. Um, too often, uh, social workers find themselves as the target of criticism if, a, if an order is not being implemented or it's, mm-hmm. for some reason it's gone wrong. <clears throat> um, but very often it's because of a lack of resources or because some other agency such as health hasn't uh, um, met the need that, that mm-hmm. was identified by the children's hearing. Um, and so as a result of these conversations and, and thinking around this issue, um, we've been looking for uh, more collaborative ways to address uh, problems when they arise. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned looked after care reviews. These are um, multidisciplinary groups of experts. Uh, they're, they're, they're usually a, a, a pretty talented group who are there as a, as a potential resource. Um, and we see the opportunity here of the, the children's hearing drawing on that expertise when a problem arises. Um, I think it's important to set the scene slightly. I, I, mm. I'll, I'll try not to get too technical about um, accountability, but at the moment, in the current system, uh, the the main way in which implementation authorities are held to account is is through the national convener. He has mm-hmm. a role in, uh, and I think it's called enforcement. That's the mm-hmm. expression that's used in the legislation. So he has a process that he can start to enforce an order. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but um, it's a bit cumbersome. It's a bit heavy-handed, mm-hmm. um, and and doesn't necessarily meet the immediate needs of a child whose mm-hmm. who's order mm-hmm. is going wrong. Absolutely. So we've identified a need for a more immediate response, uh, a, a more flexible response to um, situations where orders are uh, not going well or are, are having or, or where there are difficulties. Um, <clears throat> and so we imagine... Um, creating a process whereby the child, the family, or others, teachers, health workers, could draw to the attention of the chair uh, a situation that might not be working very well, um, and the chair having a discretion to decide whether to do anything, um, mm-hmm. whether the situation can be resolved by uh, uh, some uh, emails and correspondence, or 
whether it's sufficiently important to necessitate a, a, a review hearing mm-hmm. and, and for calling for a review. Um, and as, as part of that process, um, we imagine the, the hearing being able to draw on that expertise that might lie mm-hmm. elsewhere in, mm-hmm. for example, a looked after care review. And I'm developing, a, therefore, a more collaborative approach to dealing with problems. And the social worker, instead of becoming the target for the ire of the panel members, um, might then become more of a conduit of the, uh, the, the, the thinking from the looked after care review. Uh, the resource in question might not be available, so they'll yeah. find a workaround. Um, the availability of that resource is something that could be dealt with elsewhere by the... Yeah national convener. Yeah, and I think it's also been important to restate um, legislative duties that already are already there. So there's already an expectation that um, implementing authorities will work on a multi-agency basis. Yes. There's already a duty to collaborate with other agencies. So there's a bit about this that actually isn't within the remit of the children's hearing system, but is in broader work to not just keep the promise, but in broader public services um, improvement space about how do we just keep driving at that multi-agency working, keep resourcing and supporting early intervention and support and keep ensuring that our governance frameworks are able to pick up and catch problems and difficulties quickly. Now, I think what we'd hope is that this work feeds into that. It isn't the answer to that huge question, which is Mm -hmm. a really significant question, Mm -hmm. but it is something that we're expecting there to be a bit more um, tangible accountability for for the children who are living in the care system, which is absolutely critical. Yes, well, that's absolutely right. We we are recognising that that there's an opportunity here to create a a better system for gathering information, gathering data and and feeding it into... Mm -hmm. Um, uh, bigger decision making, policy making, yeah. budget budget decisions, that sort of thing. Yeah, Absolutely, definitely. Yeah. Um, well, I think that is probably going to come to the conclusion of our conversation, David, and the things that you want. Is there anything that you that we've not touched on that I, you'd like to to raise? Not really. There's, um, we could dive deep into lots know, of other bits, we, we couldn't could, we? We could deeper into it and we could talk for hours. Yeah. But I, I think we've we've done quite well to to um, show how this process has worked and, and how these big key elements are influencing our thinking on, mm-hmm. on some of the more de- some of the detail. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that, we've, that, that that covers it quite well. Just just to finish up, David, do you um, what? is your hope for what a children's hearing system will feel like mm-hmm. for children and families going through it at once if once the improvement activity is happening once the, some legislative change has shifted for for future children who we hope don't have to touch the children's hearing system but we know will do at some stage yeah. in their lives what do you hope it will feel like for them well, to go through it um we will never get away from the strong feelings that um, these issues raise, uh, mm-hmm. um, but we, I think we can do a lot to create a process that is much more inclusive, um, that instead of the children's hearing being like a courtroom, that will be more of a conversation with the, the family uh, and social workers and, and others who, who might have a, a word uh, or a t- a views to express on it. Um, to arrive at the best decisions for children. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be hard to, to, to say it would ever be a pleasant process, but um, I think it's, it, I would like to think of it as a process that would never be hostile, um, that yeah. children would feel comfortable in, that children will understand yeah. and, and follow, um, and uh, that they won't be confused by. Yeah. Um, 
and a, a system that will lead to uh, decisions that are clear. I mean, we 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 could drift into <clears throat> the whole issue of 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 childcare and so forth, which is is, is not our role. But we, I would like to think that decisions by the hearing would lead to. Um, much more satisfactory outcomes, uh, mm. fewer movements of placements, uh, greater certainty for children in, in mm -hmm. their, their futures and their, their, their lives, their whole lives. Mm -hmm. But that, that's at the key of it. At, at the heart of it is, is the, uh, the experience of the children and the, the certainty and uh, security that I hope that would bring. Thank you. Thanks for that, David. And also just wanted to say on certainly on behalf of the Promise Scotland and I'm sure CHS and SCRA and all the other um, organisations and people that have engaged in this work, thank you for the inordinate amount of time that you, I think when we first met, I told you this might be maybe a meeting a week and I, well, <laughs> I patently lied at that point. So thank you for no. your ongoing involvement and just the, the commitment that you've brought to this work. It's no, hugely it's, appreciated. It's, uh, it's been a, a pleasure and a privilege to, to be involved in it. Uh, no been very happy to be involved. Thanks. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. <coughs> and obviously we're going to keep going with um, other Promise Scotland podcasts about key areas of work. So do keep giving in your feedback and thoughts. Um, they're always very welcome. Thank you. Thanks very much. <laughs> <laughs>